Hello and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannico, and with me, as always, is my co-host Rob Lamorgis. Now, Chris, uh, we can't do the podcast quite yet. You gotta give me a couple more days in the jail. <laughs> And that's when I toss a, a lit stick of dynamite in there, so you will you'll have motivation. What am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> this is the seventh episode in our Get Me Another Indiana Jones series, and today we're going to be talking about two of the more unusual films that we'll to say discuss. The least. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That we'll discuss as part of this series. Both were produced in Europe. Both were made by filmmakers who directed very notable 1970s exploitation films. Uh, both were released in 1984 and both featured female protagonists, although with quite different results. And with quite different hair. I mean, you've got... <laughs> well, yeah, yes. that's true. First up today is Gwendolyn, or as it was titled in the United States... The Perils of Gwendolyn in the Land of the Yik Yak. From Thieves Harbor, Singapore. <laughs> to the corrupt casinos of Macau, across uncharted seas and treacherous jungles. Journey to a lost civilization. With a reluctant hero. Get out of my way, you're not my type. And a lady who loves to be rescued. <sighs> Destiny throws them together. Again. Willard! And again. Come on, scream! More. Come on, you scream! More. More again. And again. I belong to you, body and soul. You're kidding. No, wait! <laughs> of Gwendolyn in the lost, lost land of the Yik Yak. Gwendolyn was written and directed by Juiced Jacob, the French filmmaker who came to prominence in 1974 with the erotic film Emmanuel. It was based on a 1947 graphic novel entitled The Adventures of Sweet Gwendolyn by John Willie, which had a, a very... Um, you know, bondage theme to that that particular cartoon or comic book. It is a uh, it is part of it. <laughs> it's yep. all part of it. <laughs> yep. uh, the film stars Tawny Katayan as the titular Gwendolyn, Zabu as Beth, Brent Huff as Willard, and Bernadette Lafont as the Queen. So, Gwendolyn. I think it might be the strangest film we've watched for not just this series but the whole show. Yeah, it is. Um. Because I'll be saying most likely a whole lot that I wasn't necessarily a fan of with this movie, <laughs> I do just want to, out of the gate, say something nice. I'm going to give a rose before I give my thorns, of which there are plenty. Sure. <laughs> I don't know that I'd ever actually seen uh, Tawny Katan in anything as an actor, right? I'd seen the music videos. I don't think I'd seen her in anything. Of course. And I have to say, look, it's... um. 
you know, it's a performance that goes well in this movie. So there is a sure. there is a ceiling to it. But I actually thought that she she seemed fairly natural in a lot of it. And I I, I thought as a lead that she was actually, uh, you know, entertaining to watch. And I thought did yeah. an admirable job in a movie with, uh, you know, international you know, director and cast, I'm sure that there were some communication issues, but then also it's just an insane film. Yeah, I think she was fine. Like, I mean, it, it's yeah. not her performance. No. Uh, she certainly looks terrific. I mean, my goodness. Um, but, you know, the the problems come in, and we'll get into this, with the the, the way the character is written, and, and especially in relation to some of the other characters in the film. The movie opens in a Chinese port town sometime in the early 20th century, although I don't think we're given a specific year or city. And the whole thing, right from the beginning, has an air of unreality to it. Uh, like the set for this Chinese city, which uh, was was built in an airplane hangar, has almost the feel of like a seedy Epcot. Like, you know, like adult Epcot Center. Well, what I found interesting is that it's supposed to be outside. Yes. But they made absolutely zero effort at all to give the appearance of a sky. Right. It's not even like it's, it's even not talk. even like the no. Shaw Brothers films of the seventies, which were all like shot on sound stages. But a lot of times you have that painted, blue, you know, like it's yeah. that painted sky where there's a level of artificiality I mean, hell, to it. Like the filmed Oklahoma. Like I, yeah. I, I can <laughs> yes. deal with a painted backdrop, but this was just like, oh, here's this outdoor city that exists in kind of this gray, black, dark void. It's, it's very bizarre. <laughs> I mean, I will say now that I say it out loud, I think CD Epcot sounds like a lot of fun, like the World Showcase, but it's just it's just the seedier side of all the countries. Yeah. I'm like, I kind of want to go to there. We open and a crate has arrived from Paris and we soon discover that inside is Gwendolyn, who has come to China looking for her father who has disappeared looking for a rare butterfly. There is no reason given why she traveled to China in a crate or how long she was in there or what did she eat. It's even made more strange by the fact that her friend Beth is already there and making preparations for her arrival. Did Beth crumb in a crate as well? We're never told. It's a very strange, it, the whole thing is very strange. Like, I, I, And I don't know if it's just to, to make the appearance of she is a possession. I don't know what it is. It's just so well, weird. Well, they didn't need the crate for that because they make pretty <laughs> fucking clear that she's a possession in about two seconds after you see yes. the crate. Yes, oh, all of that. She, they, the, some, a group of people try to steal her and, and they try to sell her to a brothel owner where, of course, her sexuality will be imperiled. Uh, and that's kind of the whole movie, isn't yeah. it? Like someone wants to exploit Gwendolyn and sexually in one way or in the other. I mean, that's yeah. there's the movie. I you mean, know, if there was a subcategory on IMDb, you could go like action adventure rapey um because this is a very very rapey movie yes and i now as you know chris i uh <clears throat> i am allergic to research but you gave me the disc and on the back of the box it said it was based on an snm comic so i was yeah. not necessarily shocked or surprised to find things of a sexual nature in this movie however 
Where was the fun SM? Where was the titillation? And that's like, that's I'm the not a prude. I'm not a prude. Right. I can kiss the shiny boot of leather when it's needed. Okay? <laughs> but this it's all no of that. shiny boot. There's no shiny no, boot. No, it's just it's just that's no the there's the problem. On the ground. Come on. Yeah, no, and that's that's the fundamental problem with the movie is that it it's it's not there's it, it, there's God for a movie about sex it, it, or it, with with a lot of sexual you know sort of imagery and stuff it isn't that fun and it isn't that sexy which is kind of I mean that's kind of the problem isn't it so you know Gwendolyn is immediately captured and she she's brought to this brothel um, and she's rescued kind of by Willard. <laughs> Willard is a soldier of fortune and a smuggler who gets into an altercation with the brothel owner over $800 that he is owed. And there's a fight in the brothel owner's office, which Willard wins. One of the reasons he wins is that the lackey he beats up has a pair of nunchucks that that actor was clearly not instructed on how to use properly. Like, he's just waving them around. I'm surprised he didn't knock himself yeah, out. and it's bizarre because isn't he, he – this is an early, early role for him. But then I think he makes – he goes on and does a lot of acting. He had a career. Features. Yeah. Like, he's clearly a nunchuck guy or he will be at some point, but not in this film. It's amazing. And 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 – well, so he he ends up sort of inadvertently rescuing Gwendolyn, although like he doesn't care. So it was like if, that he wants nothing to do with. He just happened to be there, and and you know it's not that's not an uninteresting twist. The idea that it's sort of inadvertent, but like it, it's what I can't wrap my head around is that Gwendolyn is immediately attracted to this guy, and. This guy is the biggest jerk. I mean, it's just like, okay, great. He rescued you. That's a good stroke of luck. And I can get behind that. But then it's just like, they want Gwendolyn to come off as this naive girl, but she just comes off as stupid. Like, and it's not, and, 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 and it's not that she's a woman because her friend Beth, Beth's a woman and Beth is not stupid at all. Honestly, Beth is the hero of this movie. Beth makes the movie. Yeah, and you use the word attracted, but I feel, Chris, that you are being kind. You're underselling. I mean, she essentially turns into a female Pepe Le Pew about him. And she is just like, I, if they had animated actual hearts over her eyeballs, I would not have been shocked the way that they have this set up. And oh God. it is, and he could not, uh, we've, this has come up time and again over many movie series, not, yes. not just, not just this, but the idea of people trying to create a roguish swashbuckling right. man who doesn't care, uh, a Han Solo type, if you will, in Indiana Jones type, if you will. Sure. I am convinced that these filmmakers saw High Road to China and thought it was Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then they were that, like... That would explain a great many yes, things. Yes. They're like, oh, we must have a kidnapped father and he's got to be a giant jerk. But what if we put more sexy times in it? Um, but we made them not sexy. Yes. This is... <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's... I mean, there, therein, therein lies the, the, the gist of it. So Gwendolyn and Beth... They try to get Willard to help them in finding Gwendolyn's father. Why? I have no idea. He's not interested. 
find somebody else. Find anybody else. But they do this thing where they go uh, they go down. Rill- Willard is, is playing roulette. He's at the casino. <laughs> well, you're in luck. This man here is Mr. Catioche. He's chief of police at Chuck Chain. Yes? The police? Please, you have to help us. He protects the safe from mad dogs, missionaries, visiting Congress. He's your man. <laughs> go do a little striptease up on the stage. Afterwards, we'll see if I can help you out. Hey, leave her alone. Or else what? <laughs> Quiet, everybody. Leave me alone. Okay. Black, you help us. Red, you never see us again. We if it's red, you both for the striptease. Come on, come on. Hey, leave her alone. We lost. I said leave her alone. We lost. Here's a present for you. Let's go. I just want to say, like, you can't just go in a casino and take somebody else's chips and put it on a number. That's not how casinos work. Like, it's just you know, not. This is the most honorable thing that Willard does. And I think it's because it's related to gambling. That he, It's like when, when they do, when he's like, well, you bet on it. I've got I can't I can't not do the bet. OK, yeah. And then he throws some other random chick in the police yes, chief. Lap. Because this police chief is the rapiest police chief this side of, oh, yeah. of the Pecos. It's, it's yeah. Terrible. Terrible. No, it's that's uh yeah. So they go the next stop, of course, on 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 the on a tour of China, you know, it it, it wouldn't be stereotype China would not be complete without a stop at an opium den, which is where we go next to find this guy who might know. Where uh, the whereabouts of of Gwendolyn's father is? Uh, this guy is played by the butler from the German castle in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You know, if you were Scottish lord, then I am Mickey Mouse, and I never wanted to see that much of that guy's body. <laughs> well, because he is naked and just barely covered by a woman who's sort of draped across him as he uh, as he chases the dragon and gives uh, plot information. And, you know, just to focus on a tiny detail that totally does not matter. Is she just kissing the same spot on his stomach over and over again? <laughs> this is like the laziest. <laughs> like, but I, I, Well, he's I, on the opium, Rob. He's I, on I, the maybe, opium, so he's not going to notice. Too. Yeah, it's just the same, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he tells Gwendolyn that her father disappeared in the land of the Yik Yak from where no one ever returns. And I'm still not entirely clear is if the Yik Yak is a place or if it's a people. It's unclear to me. Is it a desert? I'm not sure. But they keep talking about the land of the Yik Yak. Yeah, I, I'm going to pull the rug on this whole movie right here. If <laughs> no one has ever returned from Yik Yak <laughs> to tell about it. How do oh. they know? <laughs> that is that is a that's a problem. That feels like that should have been a note that came up in the script stage, not not here 40 years no. later us watching this movie and being like uh, it, it's listen, Tawny Katayan's an attractive woman and and you get to see a, a, a fair amount of her here, and ordinarily, I, I'm like I'm all for it. And on one level, I suppose that's true. But it, it feels like this movie feels like back in the '90s when I was in college, and a, a, a whole bunch of college guys 
all went to see Showgirls opening weekend <laughs> because we were a bunch of horny college guys. And at the end of it, we're just like, oh my God, I can't, like, I can't, I can't do it. Even, even the boobs don't make it better. Like that's, there we are. That's it. Even oh. the boobs don't make it better. Put that on the video box. Well, I'm going to I'm going to agree and disagree. So, as far as <laughs> Gwendolyn and her perils in the land of the Yik Yak, um this movie just makes the female nudity yucky. I I have there's no other way to put it. It is yucky. And look, there's some viewers for whom maybe it is always yucky. Um sure. And that's that's fine. But as someone who can occasionally appreciate the female form in a work of art, you can't hear, uh, or at least I can't. But where I will disagree is that Showgirls is a masterpiece. Oh uh, yeah, I <laughs> yes, know. but I not. Know. I know not, that's. I know that's uh, become the 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 contrarian belief that's now it's a genius work of genius no look and also i highly recommend <laughs> showgirls 2 pennies from heaven uh not verhoven but anyway so we're what? just gonna There's, i don't even know there was a showgirls 2 oh pennies. it's it's amazing really <laughs> y- yes maybe uh, that has to be a don't get me another showgirls 1 and 2 oh i would i'm there did we just oh, announce that? Uh, what? We we might have just announced that. Oh, and that. we've renamed the podcast X. We're just flying by the seat of our pants here, kids. So, 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 so stupid X. It's so dumb. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Anyway, that, that corrupt police chief comes back and he arrests everybody because of, I don't know, because he's a corrupt police chief. And I guess that's what he does. They're in the cell, all in the same cell, and Willard grabs Gwendolyn and kisses her. And his his logic is he's hoping to get her to scream and cause a distraction. He's got a plan for getting out, but he needs a distraction. Okay. But it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work, Rob? Because she's so into yeah, it. And again, it's not really just a kissing of her. He is like kind of violently grabbing her in a very yeah. uh, non-consensual way. And expecting her to, you know, cry out and bring the guards and And she doesn't because she's into oh, it. It's it's not yeah. it's not the way to treat a lady, uh, that is for sure. But eventually she she slaps uh, you know, she he gets her to scream and uh, and the guard comes and Willard overpowers him by grabbing him on his head and pulling him through the bars and taking his ears off. It's the weirdest thing. Like it's yeah. such an odd ball thing in and this movie. This was the first thing in this movie that I enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> just that moment i was like oh okay are we gonna get some some crazy stuff and you do but not nearly enough uh not nearly enough hey i can appreciate a good jam a head through prison bars and rip off (laughs) ears moment and i'd be lying if i said otherwise (laughs) uh they escape and and they they Willard is once again he's just trying to get get rid of these two women um and because he's he's got he's got contraband he's got a smuggle it's I think it's opium but they don't actually yeah. say it the girls blackmail him by hiding his merchandise and then refusing to tell him the location until he helps them uh, which it works to I guess a point they get, he he agrees to help them uh, and and later like on the boat Gwendolyn actually tells Willard. When I'm close to you, I feel safe. And I'm like, is that because you're a moron, Gwendolyn? Like, that's that's it. That's the only reason you would even make that statement. Not 
oh, I need you for my purposes, or we have shared common interests. No, no, I feel safe. You're an idiot. And I think this also says something about, uh, uh, let's just, let's just go full bore. Let's just say that I am all for something that is supposed to just be sexual titillation for men and some sort of fantasy, right? Sometimes that's all right. Uh, We're just going there. Yeah. Uh, Have you ever had a fantasy where what you wanted to hear from a woman was you make me feel safe? No! (laughs) This is not like, what kind of power trip? And this seems like even the opposite of SNM. Like, I know that, you know, it's, it can be, you know, it's consensual. You can have safe play and things like that. But like, I want you, you make me feel safe. I'm like, no, I want, I want to, I want to feel dangerous or something like that's the, like, it's a fantasy. Like, don't, uh, what, what, I don't, this movie's so weird and frustrating and I don't know (laughs) how to contend with it. It's like, there's just, oh. And, and as you said, clearly Willard is the least safe person on the planet. Oh, he's Earth terrible! In this movie. He's terrible. Yeah, is <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So they 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 reach this trading post on the edge of like the land of the Yik Yak, and that's where Gwendolyn encounters a man who is wearing her father's clothes, and that is how she learns that her father, in fact, is dead, which is sad. And Gwendolyn would have every right to mourn because that is the way human beings function. But, you know, and mourn and then go home because you you have you have found him. She was very worried about her father earlier in this film. Yes. Which is why she had to go find him. And I can accept that as a premise. Absolutely. But does she mourn and go home, Rob? No, that's not what she does. What does she do? She decides to find the fucking butterfly. Yeah. She doesn't even mourn and soldier on no she just goes to find the butterfly it says well she's like oh i'm gonna find the butterfly that's gonna be my as long as now. dad's dead that butterfly's gonna have his name on it might as well and willard wants no part of this expedition but he's bribed when gwendolyn offers him like two thousand dollars what he doesn't know is that she got the money by selling the opium or contraband that he was carrying and when he finds that out i would imagine he will not be happy but we never really get a resolution on that plot. Also, given how much uh, is just in this movie, this is not like a, you know, a, a G-rated film or anything. Oh. Why do you think they refuse to say that it was drugs? I'm very curious. Like, there's absolutely no reason to not just say it's drugs. You know, I honestly don't know. You know, it's not like, oh, we got we to gotta take the smuggling aspect out of, you know... An American yeah. tale, you know. Oh well, f- oh, yeah. Fievel, yeah. you know, Fievel smuggles smuggles, uh, you know, opium into the country. That's not, you know, we we well, we we should probably not call it opium then. But uh, Angel Dust was originally in the Secret of Nim. Just seeing. Really? That. Is that true? No. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Secret of Nim's so weird. I could buy it. I uh, it I, I haven't it watched is. that movie in yeah. ages. Um, and need to revisit it. Mrs. Brisby is the so, best. They journey into the jungle after this butterfly, and uh, there's a moment where it starts raining, and it has <laughs> one of those moments where you just say, what is this? Where they start raining, and Willard says, take off your clothes quick so they can catch the rainwater in their clothes. Pretty convenient, Willard. Willard grew up in a land where you cannot form a funnel with your hands. <laughs> it's impossible. You can only use... Your clothing. 
And not just like a single shirt. You gotta, you gotta like. No, all of them. The whole thing. You need to use the entire thing to construct a Rube Goldberg device to catch the rain (laughs) and funnel it into your canteen. And it's not long before they are captured by a cannibal tribe, the cops, who are responsible. They are the ones responsible for uh, Gwendolyn's father's death. And you know, it's weird. It's like there's a there's so much. There's so much about this movie that can't decide what it is. It's like Willard is generally the worst person, but occasionally he tells Gwendolyn things like how her father would be so proud of her. It's so weird. Like you might say in another movie that this is trying to show a complex character of depth and subtlety, but I just think they had no idea who this character was and therefore his personality changes from scene to scene. Uh, that one. Yeah, <laughs> that one. That's that would be door number two. Yes, his personality changes from scene to scene because they had no idea. So now they're in. They're they're captured by the clops and they're they're held captive. They're hogtied on the floor. And in one of I think one of the more memorable scenes of the film, uh, <laughs> Gwendolyn laments. <laughs> oh God! No, you're committed now. You gotta say it. You gotta just you gotta soldier through this. Gwendolyn laments that she will die a virgin. <laughs> so naturally, Willard does what anyone would do in this situation. He talks her into having an orgasm with the sound of his voice and describing uh the way sexuality uh works. And honestly, uh like everything else in this movie, I feel like this is something that Beth could have done better. And, well, and she also does, but oh, uh, yeah. yes, she, <laughs> she, she, Beth is definitely into it. Willard's live performance of a penthouse letter simultaneously <laughs> produces <laughs> orgasms in two separate women who have not touched their, uh, their downstairs. No, <laughs> I, and look, I am not a woman. I have never had the body of a woman. I, I would say that, look, I don't know the female <laughs> orgasm in that way. Maybe it's possible to just hear someone and spontaneously orgasm, but it makes for bad cinema. It's not, yeah, it's well, there it is. Um, by the way, uh, Beth is the one who uh, is able to loosen Willard's bond enough so they can escape. And, and uh, Beth is played by the, the, uh, the single named actress named Zabu. She's the star of the movie, but the filmmakers had no idea. Like everything that's good that happens is Beth. Yeah. And uh, you know, there is this, there's this quality and, and part of it is her look as well, where, it's almost like a bizarro um, Shelley Duvall. It, she's got like the short Louise Brooks Bob haircut, like black hair. Yes. You know, and it, it it's, she, honestly, she was the character I liked the most. She seemed to be the most like capable and competent. Yeah. So they escape. They escape from the, uh, from the, the, the cannibals and they flee. The topography changes really fast from jungle to desert, although they do have clearly some nice location shootings. Yep. They notice this rocky outcropping in the desert. So they, they, they lower Beth down like on a rope to check it out. And she finds the butterfly, of course, but then she disappears. So then Gwen and Willard, Follow her down and reach an underground city. Okay, so we've made it this far. We're at the underground city. Let's talk about the underground city. I don't know how it can be both spare and over-designed at the same time. 
but somehow it is. Somehow it is not enough and too much all at the same time. It's like, imagine if THX 1138, uh, if George Lucas had made that movie and said, what if everyone just almost fucks? <laughs> the city the city is populated exclusively by women, or for the most part. Superb! Superb, Chris! <laughs> Oh, that, yeah, yeah, well, almost exclusively. We have, there's one guy. Almost yeah, yeah, exclusively. Um, but yeah, there's one, one guy, guy and he's the you worst. Wish he wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you're probably wondering how the population could sustain without any men, even for breeding. And I promise you, we'll get to that shortly, and the answer is dumb. Uh, there, there is a very strict caste system in the city. There's a distinct separation between the warriors and the ruling class and the slaves who spend their days operating machines that appear to do nothing. Like there's big wheels that turn, there's pistons that go up and down, and none of it literally seems to do anything at all. That actually I found a perfect metaphor for modern society. <laughs> That That's, might be. That was oh, like geez. practically Black Mirror uh, decades before. <laughs> <laughs> but they are apparently mining diamonds to support the city. Now, one, how? I have no idea how they're mining. Two, aside from like industrial uses, what good are precious stones to this insular community? Like we get a little of the history about it. They don't have contact with the outside world. What good are diamonds? They're not selling them. They don't, can't grow food. How does this economy work? It's a diamond-based feudal system. <laughs> I don't di- know. Oh, it, it's not like, they, it's so, not like everything's adorned with diamonds and, you're, and you go, oh, oh no. they're just doing this for their own aesthetic beauty or some weirdness. No, it's not the lost city of gold in, in, in Alan Quartermain where, oh, we, we use gold for everything. No, it's just like you occasionally see them carrying like a bucket of diamonds. Diamond knives? No. Uh, nope. Diamond anything? No. Diamond chariot wheels? No. Uh, no. Nothing. 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 It's, it's so it's so dumb. It, and that's the <laughs> it's just so dumb. Um, so Gwendolyn and Willard accidentally kill a guard. So now, but they still need to find Beth. So what do they do? They dress up as guards to infiltrate the city. Now remember, this is a city almost entirely of women. And Willard dresses up in one of the, the women's armor. And I'll tell you, I'll just say it, he does not pass. He does not even come close to passing for one of these female guards. It is not working. It's not working, Willard. And they take a character who I don't like, but who at least didn't seem to be a complete moron, and he's, he suddenly turns into Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. He's like, <laughs> oh, I'll just put on this outfit and they will think yeah. I'm one of them. Yeah. And and, 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 and I guess they You don't. know what? Needless to say, it doesn't work. No. Now, Rob, I do have a question about the armor. I'd like to talk about the armor for a second because <laughs> okay, there's okay. something I didn't understand. Now, I'm sure I didn't either. <laughs> this is armor made for women. Yes. Now, they, they, most of the armor covers the women's breasts. There's some that don't, like there's some where it doesn't cover their breasts, but there's a few where it covers one breast and leaves the other one exposed. And I can't figure out what the point of that is for love or money. Like why? All I get. None I get. One? Well, I, I can't. you know, I just can't. the, the, the I can't. real reason I have no clue, but I'll give you another one of my patented... <laughs> 
retroactively going to explain something, even though there's Ooh. not one shred of evidence in the text itself for it. Those are my favorite explanations. Absolutely. Those are like pips on a Star Trek uniform. <laughs> now, I'm not sure who is a higher rank. I, I, I can't tell you that, but it's so, clearly like, rank related. Yeah. So like. It, it, it's like on, on a Star Trek where you have like the the gold pip is like oh, yeah. so one gold pip is like a lieutenant, but then yeah. there's like the one black is like a lieutenant commander, and then two gold is like a commander. So like that's I something like that. And and given the fact that the uh, the slave ladies who work the machines that do nothing, they're pretty much just naked with no armor. So I'm gonna Basically. guess that the more breast more coverage, more breasts the you have covered, one. and then by the time yeah. you get to um, the queen, you know, Angelica Houston, uh, evil the, Angelica Houston. <laughs> yeah, the the I wannabe Angelica not. Houston. Yeah, know, like it's not. Oh my god, the the queen. No, we'll a- get Angelica to the queen. Houston is not actually in this movie. But no, she is Angelica Houston. But they said, "Get me an Angelica Houston yes, type." They, and they it, got it, like it you know did. the third tier Angelica Houston. But but yes, yes, she is mostly covered in the most ridiculous costumes I can think of in a movie. Like it's so ridiculous. Like at one point, she just—I don't know. It looks like she looks like a a, a, a like a pastry. Like it's so strange. <laughs> so strange. Like mm, yes, no pastry I've ever seen though. Yeah. Uh, um, Bernadette Lafont is the is the queen, and it is just like she has the most bonkers costumes. Um, and, and apparently she gets off on being spit on because there's one point where, where I think Gwendolyn spits on her and she's kind of like, Whoa. Yeah. Um, uh, she's accompanied by one man living in the city, Darcy. He's, I guess, a scientist of some kind. And, And he's doing something with the diamonds. I don't know what, but it's interesting. Like I thought to myself, well, if that had been the father, like if the father hadn't just been dead, had been captured and was kind of, yeah. you know, in the city. I'm like, well, that there's there's the makings of some drama. But instead, it's this asshole who I don't care about. Like he's and just his, a jerk. And his catchphrase is superb. Every every time the queen gets mad at him for saying something, he then backtracks and he's yeah. just like superb. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, they find Beth. And she is hooked up to a device with a giant crossbow bolt attached to a string that, like, there's a thing in her mouth and the string is attached to a giant crossbow. And if she even moves her mouth a little bit, the crossbow bolt was would just fire. So what does Gwendolyn do? This The smart <laughs> hero of our story tries to rip it out of Beth's mouth without even <laughs> noticing... Where does that string go? Oh, the giant crossbow? And Beth essentially has to, like, in a panic, stop her from doing this. Yeah, they, and they do get it out, and, and they get her out of the way. But, and I know, I get that it has all, like, you know, BDSM undertones. But like everything else in this movie, it's just so silly. Oh, God. It's, I, I, I found myself asking how these people all spoke English. And the Queen, admitted, to the movie's credit, the Queen gives me the bullshit answer I was looking for, where <laughs> she says, I seldom find occasion to practice your enchanting language from the old world. And, uh, and uh, you know, so we, we learn that the city is named Pikaho. And it's located on a volcano, because of course it is. All of these things have to be on volcanoes. And it seems that an eruption of that volcano cut off Pikaho from the rest of the world and killed all the men. And I guess they do have some contact from the outside periodically as they capture men for breeding. 
but they're so stupid that after they they have these men, they, they don't have the men like breed with a bunch of different women. They have a bunch of women compete to breed with this one man, and then they kill him immediately afterwards. Like that's not that's not a good plan. That's dumb. No, that's exceedingly dumb. Uh, <laughs> I as is building your home on top of a volcano. Yeah, but they all do that. Uh, it's par for the I course know, in these movies. I know. I was I was surprised that there were no crocodile soldiers of fortune <laughs> in this as well. <laughs> but, uh, and isn't isn't scientist guy? Isn't he? You, Diamond, diamond. He's doing something, something with the volcano, with the volcano right? Yeah, and it's going to be bad. Yeah, yeah it's going to be bad. He's, he's, he's just anyway. So, like, the queen decides that four warriors have to compete to have sex with Willard, and uh, and and Gwendolyn tries to escape with Willard in a chariot. But the chariots, Rob, the chariots aren't pulled by horses. The chariots, who pulls the chariots, Rob? <laughs> it's like soylent green. It's people. It's people pulling the chariots. So they have this chariot race where Gwendolyn and Willard are trying to escape and it's being pulled by members of, of the Pikachu society. And I'm like, why is this even a race? Why don't they just stop? Like, why doesn't the queen just order the, Hey, stop right there. Oh, well we got you now. I mean, it just, Oh God. Gwendolyn fakes her death so she can compete in the, the fight she she has a mask on uh you know I, I mean it's i don't know i get that this i get what this movie wanted to do this movie was shooting for barbarella meets raiders of the lost ark but it lacks the genuine sensuality of the former and the adventurousness of the latter so you're kind of end up with eh, i don't know there's some funny lines um you know, someone calls the queen an overdressed gargoyle, which I, I was genuinely amused by. Uh, talking to the queen, someone says, uh, you don't know how to tell someone I love you. And the queen's reply, I leave that to losers. <laughs> and then as as Gwendolyn is waiting to start the contest, Beth comes to her and, 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 and kind of gives her a pep talk. Beth, are you crazy? You're risking your life. Not important. I wanted to see you one last time. I'll never forget you. You were wonderful. I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I'll try to be as strong as you are. I'll try to be as strong as you are. Beth, you're the smartest person in this movie. What are you talking about? Like anything that's good that happens, happens because of Beth. Beth helps Gwendolyn win the contest. And as a consequence, she gets to have sex with Willard in front of all the the queen and all the nobles. But here's what's nuts about it, Rob. The whole movie, you've been building up to Willard and Gwendolyn having sex. And that's like the engine of the movie. And what what happens? We've already seen these characters naked. They hide them all in robes for the sex scene. I'm like, what are we even doing here? Like, can't even get like basic, like basic titillation right. I know. And like, she has to wear the helmet because the queen wants to watch. There's a whole bit with that's not supposed to happen, but the, uh, with the helmet. But then 
well, she was so amazing. I'll let her unmask afterward and blah, yeah, blah, blah. But I, yeah. And the queen can like tell by the moaning that it's Gwendolyn or something before it's oh, all over. I, it's I don't crazy. know. I, it's, as they reach their climax, uh, Darcy activates the volcano. Uh, Gwendolyn, Beth, and Willard flee Pikachu, but Willard turns back at the last minute to try and get some of the diamonds. And uh, But Gwen and Beth make it out uh, and just as they're mourning Willard, he appears, but not with the diamonds. He's got the stupid fucking butterfly. Yeah. It's like a really dumb version of the ending of Ark of the Sun God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, a million times less believable. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Oh, I believe any of the Margariti movies have have a verisimilitude that this movie completely lacks. Yeah, which is uh, quite a thing to say. Quite a thing to say. <laughs> I did watch some of the special features on that disc, Rob. <gasps> I did. And and I, uh, I I have a couple of quotes here. Okay. From di- writer-director Just Jacob. Here's a quote from him. Humor makes everything possible. Don't look for any moral teaching in an adventure film. Again, you're in dreamland. End quote. Yeah. The variety headline writer inside of me would be something something in a nightmare. <laughs> Here's another one. Quote, Gwendolyn is a feel-good film, youthful, meant for young people aged 7 to 70. No. End quote. That that can't be true. He said that. Like, I know that Europe is different from the United States, but that seems crazy to even me. (laughs) I'm like... Yeah, it's a it's a it's a film for all ages. Well, actually, it's a film for no ages. Is really what it is. <laughs> yeah, and look, I I'm sure there are fans out there of this film. It's got some it's got apologize. some good sets. I thought the sets were kind of interesting, but it's uh, yeah yeah. I don't know. I mean, I and I wanted to like together, it. I, you know, it's cut together fairly well. Although they clearly don't have money to do a lot of things like close ups. Yeah. Um, there's not much, co- I mean, I, I was shocked that we didn't get a close up of Gwendolyn for quite some time in this movie. It's true. I, I mean, I'll say this of all the things wrong with this movie. And there's a lot, uh, Tawny Katayan looks great. Uh, as does, uh, Zabu. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know. It, it, in the worst possible ways, even the sets, it felt like it in the bad way, felt like a seventies doctor who episode where you're just <laughs> like. <laughs> like you you can have less money and still like just be better <laughs> yes fortunately though things turned around with our second film this week from director matt simber oh, yeah this is yellow hair and the fortress of gold more destructive than a regiment of soldiers More deadly than a flying snake. More savage than an army of cutthroats. And more woman than any man could hold. She's Yellowhead. The adventuress who goes where ordinary men fall short. Where mercenaries drop out. And where soldiers of fortune lose their heads. Yellowhead and the Fortress of Gold. She's got a man at her side. I thought you were fearless. She's learned the secret of the sacred horn. Blow it. 
and she's about to uncover a city of gold beneath a desert and a ceremony of everlasting life that's really beneath her. Yellowhead whips up the screen in the adventure that keeps on going where all others end. Yellowhead and the Fortress of Gold. She is a female Indiana Jones, says Film Journal, coming from Crown International Pictures. Earlier this year, in our Get Me Another Conan the Barbarian series, we encountered a film for the first time by director Matt Simber entitled Hundra. Now, neither of us had seen this before, but we were both familiar with Simber's work from his incredible 1976 psychological horror film, The Witch Who Came from the Sea. Hundra impressed the hell out of us. Like, despite its origins as a female Conan movie, that's clearly what they were going for. It was made with style and depth, and it was anchored by an incredible lead performance from Lorraine Land. If you want to hear our thoughts on Hundra, check out episode four of Get Me Another Conan the Barbarian. Hundra is terrific. So when we learned that immediately after finishing Hundra, the same creative team who had done this female Conan movie did a female Indiana Jones movie. We were very excited to include it in this series. Uh, and I, I've been looking forward to this uh, for a couple months now since we watched Hundred. Me too. And after watching this movie, Chris, I, again, don't read, but <laughs> how is Matt Simber not a thing? I know. Like, how – I, I, I'm, I'm going to seek out the rest of his films now, and yeah. I know that, you know, he – but I'm just like, having seen three of these suckers, like it, he is like the hidden, you know, low budget auteur. And this, these aren't like super low budget. But they're but they're low budget for certain. They're low budget. Yeah. But like how he is, has escaped, like this guy needs a box set from Arrow. Yes. Or, or yes. Some, Arrow something. Or, like, or Vinegar Syndrome or whoever. Yeah, absolutely. Because Hundra's great. I thought this movie was really good. I, Witch Who Came In From the Sea, I think, has been put out by Arrow and is uh, a, a genuine yeah. masterpiece. And I'm going to check out more of his films because this is just, uh, you know, he's just terrific. And a little background on Matt Simber. Uh, in the 60s, he was married to Jane Mansfield for a time. Uh, in the 70s, he made a couple of notable black exploitation films as well as The Witch Who Came From the Sea. And in the 80s, after making this movie, he would go on to co-create Glow the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Yellow Hair and the Fortress of Gold was written by Matt Simber and John Kershaw. In addition to Lorraine Landon, it stars Ken Robertson, Claudia Gravy, John Gaffari, Luis Lorenzo, and Ramiro Oliveros, the latter three also being in Hundred. This movie does something really interesting right from the start. Like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Yellow Hair in the Fortress of Gold draws very heavily from the adventure serials and B-movies of the 1930s and 40s, although in some very different ways. The opening shot is from inside a movie theater where you can hear kids watching the movie and reacting to what's happening on screen as if it's a Saturday afternoon serial from that period. And the characters are introduced on screen with their names and brief descriptions, and they actually kind of stop and look at the camera and break the fourth wall, reacting to the applause or boos that they get from the audience. It's it's one step further than the hi there opening credits of Bring Them Back Alive. Yeah, I mean, this one feels much more with a foot in the seventies in that way. Yes. This is much more about kind of breaking things down uh, while 
kind of paying homage as well to earlier Hollywood. And I really liked it. It doesn't, it's funny. It doesn't necessarily feel out of place for 84, but he's doing things in this movie that just, um, you know, the, the film trends of that time just weren't really, they weren't breaking down conventions again. They were rebuilding them up in general. Right. And the seventies were breaking them down. And then the eighties were sort of reconstructing them. Um, and this feels like it's closer to the seventies in that regard. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and just from like everything from like who yellow hair is oh, and yeah. who were root, who the audience is supposed to root for. I mean, these are all like not what is going on in Reagan's America in no. 1984 at all. No, 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 absolutely not. Uh, the movie interestingly frames itself as part of a larger narrative. Uh, in some ways it's, it's akin to what George Lucas would do with Star Wars, where it's like, oh, we're, we're picking up in the middle of a bigger story. Uh, here, there's actually a previously on segment catching you up on the story so far. And I will, I will read that for the audience. In the last episode, Pecos was thrown in a Mexican prison under the watchful eye of the colonel. Meanwhile, Flores is using the deer horn to search for the hidden Aztec temple and gold. <laughs> I love not messing around. Yeah. I mean, you talk, this isn't even starting in the middle of the action. This is starting like, like the action's <laughs> like just yeah. about to end. Like you're starting the third act of another movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, everyone knows each other. Yep. What I do love is that the characters already know the situation and they know each other. Not, you know, obviously they learn things as they go through it, Sure, but this is a masterclass to me and they don't, stop and give dumb exposition that often for the audience to like yeah. let you know oh this is who that is oh this is who that is and have characters say things that they never would because right. all of the people talking already know so why the hell would they say that absolutely they don't do it here but they still orient the audience very quickly as to who everyone is and yeah. uh, you know a lot of that's in the direction the visuals uh you don't need the dialogue to tell you who these people are because your show. Yeah. There's, there's one big info dump kind of in the middle of the movie, but that in that case, you have one character telling something to two others that they don't know. And as a matter of fact, the, it was a secret. And the fact that it was a right. secret is integral to the story. Absolutely. So we, we begin and, and, uh, Flores, who who works for the colonel and his men, they're trying to find this hidden Aztec temple and you know the gold therein, and uh, and they uh, they find the Aztecs all right, and they get the crap beat out of them something fierce and with some amazing visuals. Oh, oh my, my god! The Aztecs, or as they're called in this movie, the Tulipans, they appear on the cliffs above Flores and his men, and they appear to almost have like goldish skin. Like one one mm -hmm. of the Mexicans, like one of the Mexican soldiers shoots at a tulipan and he shatters like a statue. Like this seems to be a common tulipan tactic. Is it a person or is it a statue? And and I feel like it's like that fad for a while where everything turned out to be cake. Yeah. That's kind of what they do here. It's like, oh, is it real or is it a statue? The only question I have is how they can get those statues into place so quick. They are they are they are very fast. But like it's yeah. really good. And uh and, and leading into that section, you get that one where one of the uh the guys is going around, right? Yeah. He's on his own. And you just get the noose 
yeah coming down into frame and they they rope it around the guy and they drag him up yeah and that's happening the, you get the shot of the body swinging with the you know the the tulip hand behind him yes and it, this is one where that you know just to shout out again some love for simber this is not a shot that cost a lot of money but by the careful framing uh and the you know the staging the action it is amazing yeah it's amazing yeah, no, I uh, 100%. And and uh, I love we, we mentioned in the last movie they were they were mining diamonds at uh, at Pikachu and they didn't use them. Whereas here it's there's it is a it is a lost city of gold and they use gold for everything. Like the arrow that gets shot at one yeah. of the guy is gold cuz they just have such a surplus of gold. But you see how it works into their society yeah that and that gold arrow is one of my favorite little bits to end that kind of helps end this uh sequence yeah because it 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 gets flores right so and flores who it's a running gag but flores gets a crap kicked out of him yeah he just keeps getting injury upon injury throughout this movie but gold arrow drives flores away right so it means that he is going to stop trying to get in and get you know the, the 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 secret gold right And yet he stops and he looks at that arrow, realizes it's gold. And so the arrow that drove him away is also the arrow that is going to absolutely ensure he is coming back with more men. Yes. Yeah. And it's just such a nice touch. It really is. Uh, There is some amazing stunt work. You know, this is like the the scenes with the horses. Like there's a, there's a whole, like they, they close a trap on the, on the Mexican soldiers and, and they go flying off their horses. And I just, I was like, this is some incredible, incredible stuff, like just real practical stunt work. There's a sequence later that I'll, I'll say, I'll say now, and we'll we'll talk about it later. There's a sequence later that I think is the best stunt set piece in any movie that we've watched for this series since Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark is still Raiders of the Lost Ark, but this has a sequence that I think is is second to that. Yeah, you're talking about the wagon, right? Yes! Wagon yes. Yeah, that wagon chase. Oh, is, it's so good. Oh my god. Um, yeah. So the the tulipans are pretty brutal. Like the, the guys who are left behind. Like oh, there's yeah. one guy who's like left spread eagle in the desert, and they cut off his eyelids. It's like oh my god. And yeah, so that the sun will just stare straight in and blind oh. him. And then like another dude is it, like his head is dipped in molten gold and then like cut off. It's like it's like a more extreme version of what Aegon does in Alan Quatermain in the Lost City of Gold. Like it's just. There's some crazy stuff here. Yeah, it's like Dr. Fibes level. Yeah. Like, of yeah, just like absolutely. insanity and kind of viciousness and yeah. Uh, the bodies, like the, they take the heads off, but the, like the bodies are tied to horses and sent back to the fort. So like, you know, like you see them flying. Like, like I watched this, my wife watched this with me and she's like, wait a minute, how are they? Oh, they're tied to the horses. Like it was a, it was like a moment yeah. of like, oh shit. Yeah, and that's really creepy. Yeah, I have to add that the the, the tulipans all have this like tattoo of what looks like a compass on their bodies, and that will be important very shortly. Yes, we are eventually introduced to Yellow Hair, a supposedly half Apache woman whose mother was raped by a white man, and the first time we see her, she is in a knockdown, drag out fight with an Apache man, and. I gotta say, Lorraine Landon in both Hundra and Here has this incredible physicality that she uses, and she's absolutely believable in 
everything she does. Like she gives that guy a drop kick that you can feel. Like my wife actually said, oh shit, Lorraine Landon, a star. Her fighting is excellent. And what I most, and you get a little of it, Hundra, I feel that you get a little more in yellow hair is that you get a lot of the fun as well. Yes, this is a little bit lighter of a movie. Yeah, but but that she, in kicking dudes' butts, has fun doing it. Like, in this training kind of, like, thing where the guy's trying to take her down. Well, it's not training. I thought it was. It's like first, a, it's but, like a yeah. contest, but it's not like a to-the-death kind of thing. No, no. But when she defeats him and he's kind of, like, on the ground on all fours, and she goes back and literally just playfully but not so playfully kicks him in the ass yeah and there's just such like it is so fun to her when she does that yeah a hundred percent it is frankly the kind of it's the kind of joyful violence that is mostly given to men right and almost never even in the quote-unquote strong female role it it was less frequently given to women. It's that's right. changed a little bit more recently. Uh, De- Dead Reckoning, I would uh, say. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the Palms character, but in any case, yeah. Not to digress, but uh, Lorene is is amazing. She's amazing, yeah. And and you're right because in 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 Hundra, basically bad things happen to her tribe at the very beginning, and so everything is a sort of quest for vengeance from the jump. And here, there's a bit more time for that, as you say, a kind of joyousness, a joyous violence that is often only allowed for men. And 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 she's great. Uh, she she wins the fight, obviously, and she goes back to to her mother, uh, Gray Cloud. And it, it's a it's a great bit because Gray Cloud says, "Well, you know, one day you'll lose one of these fights, and one of the Braves is going to take her." Someday you'll make wrong move, and Brave will beat you. And then he'll grab me by the hair, drag me to his bed, and finally Gray Cloud can have her grandchildren. It is Apache way, yellow hair. I'm not all Apache. My white blood says I don't want to belong to a man just because he beat me in a fight. Why you hate men? Gray Cloud have reason, not you. I was the one raped. No man has harmed you. All who look upon me frown. Is that not harm enough? The dynamic of that conversation between between Yellowhair and her mother is very similar to the one in Hundra that she has with her mother. Like, yes. you know, she's she's just she has got an independent streak and does not want to be possessed by anyone. Grey Cloud realizes that uh, Yellowhair's friend, known as the Pecos Kid, has taken the deer horn and one of the four golden nuggets that she keeps. She believes that she'll need all four of these nuggets to pass into the afterlife. So she implores Yellowhair to go find the Pecos Kid and bring him back along with the nugget and the horn. And when she returns, she has a truth to tell. And that's uh, that, the thing. So Yellowhair goes off to rescue the Pecos kid, who amusingly refers to her as Yellow, as just as if it was her first day. Hey, Yellow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
And, and she finds Pecos pretty quick, but Pecos is reluctant to leave his cell because he's got a plan and he's trying to carry it out. And so he's going to stick with his cell. So what does she do? She tosses a stick of lit dynamite in there and he's like, oh, I'm ready to go. Okay, boom. And he, she blows out the wall. Uh, yellow hair seems to like dynamite even more than Alan Quartermain. I, I, I have the same thought. Yellow hair and Pecos kids uh, relationship is so much fun. It is. There is, um, she, number one, is 100% the leader, right? Yes, absolutely. But they do, they do seem like that they are, they still maintain a, a fairly equal footing, right? But it's essentially like what she, she has the last say. But Pecos is such like a, he's a trickster. Yes. They get him, they get kind of like the, the, the cad and the not not quite serious enough about life right which which is part of the fun of his character but also explains why he's not really a guy who's interested in leading anything right yeah he's just looking to find gold he just is kind of floating around and find some gold and date the saloon girl <laughs> and that's really all he wants yeah you know he's he's very much uh in childish things in that way yeah and we we see that that pecos has been captured by colonel torres who's basically the the leader of the mexican army in this region uh now i i should mention that torres is a very heavily queer coded villain. Yeah. If there's anything in this movie that, that doesn't that doesn't translate to modern, it's the it's sort of the queer codedness of Torres. So much so that in the beginning, where they have the description where it's like Colonel Torres, ruthless. Like the words come up on screen, ruthless, greedy, and dot dot dot. And then they have the actor sort of giving this very fey look. And it's just like that's one of the few things that just doesn't age well off of this movie. Uh, and Luis Luis Lorenzo played a very similar villain role in Hundred as well. Yeah. Like he was one of the the temple guys and and had a kind of you know a, a fey quality to him there. So it's just it, I I thought it worth mentioning because again I think there's a lot of stuff to like about this movie. That's so, something that you wouldn't do the same way if you were making it today. Um, but it's of the time. So they return to the village after having liberated Pecos. Uh, they return to the village and they find Grey Cloud has been murdered by Flores, leaving behind a message for Yellowhair to go see the man who knows. But before they do that, they have to retrieve the nugget, which Pecos had given to a prostitute named Rainbow. Rob, never give your nugget to a prostitute named Rainbow. That's just good general policy. Yeah, and you know what else is good policy? Don't walk up from your four of a kind at the poker table. You do not leave the poker table <laughs> when you have that winning hand. That is true. No. No, you play that uh, hand just out. chit-chat with said rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. Uh, and, but Rainbow doesn't even have the nugget. She's given it to her, the saloon owner. And we get another terrific fight in the saloon. Like there's a moment, there's a great moment where a man tries to grab Yellow from behind. And she's got a gun tucked into the back of her belt. And she just shoots him in the foot with the gun tucked back into her belt. It's great. And she also, she shoots the earring off of the saloon owner. And they, they're able to recover yeah. the nugget. And the whole thing turns into a free-for-all. Which take it takes the madam and a shotgun to put an end to the whole. Yeah, thing. and there's a lot of tension before you know when it's clear that a fight's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yeah. yet. You get that stand, the classic kind of standoff moment, and it's 
it's funny because Pecos is taking the lead on this because of, you know, and he's trying to keep yellow, yellow interjects. And he's like trying to keep her out of this just because her, you know, she's not following the rules of this world right. and it's agitating the saloon owner and making it less likely that they'll get out of there or get what they want. But I love that, especially in a movie in 1984, this is rather unbelievable. The The final straw moment about the gold nugget is when the saloon owner says, Gotta have that nugget bag, mister. What are you, kid? A stinking Indian giver. And it's just amazing that that is presented as a negative stereotype. Like, you are supposed to see it yeah. as a negative stereotype in a movie in 84. And I know that the 70s, did you did have some films that were examining that that issue in in the states yeah. of you know the the treatment and the placement of um, yeah so the revisionist westerns of the seventies absolutely yeah yeah uh, and and what that meant for you know uh, American Indian you know representation and how you dealt with that and um but even still just this was not something that that seemed to go away for quite some time in the 80s let's say yeah they didn't make a lot of westerns in the 80s there's silverado and not a whole lot else young guns i guess young guns and then uh dances with wolves comes in 90 1990 so it's getting oh that's 90 and and then it starts you get a little bit more in the 90s where you know with unforgiven and that's and tone tombstone but like the 80s are 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 the decade where it's the most sort of dry for westerns because it just yeah, in some ways, you know, you had Blazing Saddle take the wind out of the whole genre's sails to some degree yeah. uh, for a good decade or so afterward. They do get out of the saloon and they, they make their way to see the man who knows, who reveals that Grey Cloud is not Yellow Hair's real mother. She is, in fact, the child of a Texan man and a tulipan princess. A Texan come across this and want to use it to get into the temple to get gold. I thought we were dead for sure when tulipans find us in Kenya. But they just... uh, How do you say? They stare at my partner. They think he's sent by the gods to bring them back to outside world. He smile. He make them smile. They princess smile too. She fall in love with him. Then the trouble start. What trouble? She was to marry the priest, a man named Shayotiwa. But she chose this man. Shayotiwa do not like this. I bet. He have his men blind me so I cannot find my way back. Then the princess have a little one and the priest say she dishonored the tribe. He say no to all babies, till gods forgive. Twenty-three years now, no forgiving. What do you think happened to your friend and the princess? Servant woman took the child, run away. 
What did they think was so special about your Texan friend? His hair. It was long. And beautiful. And yellow. Uh, what I love is that she has, as one would, extremely complex feelings about yes. this. It is a hell of a reveal. She has, you know, she's sitting there thinking, Grey Cloud lied to me. Yep. This woman who raised me is as is, is, is her own. And is, there's, you know, negative feelings about that. There's excitement about the her true origins. Knowing and, and the truth, yeah. Knowing the truth and perhaps wanting to find out more, leading her, you know, on more of a quest on that end of things. And it's, it's just, it's really nice that, you know, it's a movie, so she doesn't process things for eight days or whatever, but like they 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 acknowledge it and and you feel it like and and Lorraine her her performance in this section is is gangbuster. She's great. Yeah. So they they decide they're gonna proceed to they're gonna journey to Tulipan. Uh, but along the way they're accosted by Flores' men. And this leads to one of the best scenes in the movie, where <laughs> Yellow and Pecos steal a stagecoach, which like I said earlier. This might be the best action sequence we have seen in any of these films following Raiders of the Lost Ark. The stagecoach chase and fight is just terrific. Yeah, you get a lot of bullwhip action. A lot of bullwhip action. A, a lot of bullwhip action. And I'm going to just spoil, because it's it's not like a plot point, and we're already doing that anyway. There is a moment when Yellowhair, who is driving the stagecoach, yeah. Jumps out of the driver's seat in between the team of horses pulling the stagecoach ahead. Yeah. And then is doing fighting from the that position. And no one is driving the coach. And Pecos winds up seeing this because he's inside the coach. And he comes out to try and drive the coach. And you, like, this stuff was really staged. You get to yeah. see it. This is, yeah. I, and I'm sure that, you know, there's trickery involved, but... Oh, obviously. Holy moly, how how was this done on this this little money again? Yeah, absolutely. And and the clarity the the the, the thing about chase scenes, you know, is always to me, it's clarity of movement and clarity of action. I want to understand what is happening and when it's happening. It's not the truck chase from Raiders, because nothing is the truck chase from Raiders. No. But this is the closest anyone has come in any of the subsequent movies we've watched in this series to kind of capturing that kind of stunt sequence. It's terrific. And this was, I mean, the, the opening stuff with like the way with the early like sneaking around fighting that was going on at the top of this movie. And then by the time you get to the stagecoach sequence, I'm, I mean, I get, you know, I, I hope he made his glow money, but I'm like, how was, how was this man not tapped? Yeah. How was this man not tapped for something else? Like I, it's, yeah. I mean, and I know how, cause you know. It, their luck is involved in life and um, art is subjective and the world is not a meritocracy. <laughs> All of those things. All of you those know? things. But it is, it, I am, I am so sad for the movies that I didn't get yeah. because I am a selfish person. I'm <laughs> not thinking about Matt Simber. I hope, I hope he was happy. I hope so too. Cause he, he gave us some great, as you say, I, I would love to see an arrow box set of Matt Simber. Yes. Uh, of his films. Like, you know, there's there's some that are already out on in good quality, but I'd love a Blu-ray release of Hundra. I'd love a Blu-ray release of this. And just the inventiveness in this movie, 
Uh, and we're about to get a li- one of my favorite inventive pieces. I know it's coming up. Tumbleweed snake bombs? Yeah, tumbleweed snake bombs. I, oh, yeah. How had... I'd never seen this before. It was great. Yeah, they make it to the sea. They get away from Flores' men. They make it to the sea. And then they encounter the tulipans. And the tulipans attack by putting snakes inside tumbleweeds and throwing them down at Yellow and Pecos. Because, again, they have the high ground. Snake bombs. And it is fantastic and creative. I've never seen it before in a movie. And, like... How often do you see something you've really never seen before in a movie? How has no one ripped this off? I know. It is so amazing. And for uh, the listeners, if you don't know, if rattlesnakes were to roll down an entire mountain, when they come out, they're pissed off. (laughs) I was on a shoot one time in the desert where we were doing, uh, it was a fake laser gun commercial. The last shot of the day was the the rigged explosion from a a distance, like where the laser was going to blow up the thing. We were doing it the last of the day because we didn't want the rangers to get us. But so as we were packing up and leaving, my friend Mike, it was his it was his deal. We have gear. We're walking back to the truck and we're just chit chatting. And then he just I feel his hand on my chest and I can't go forward. And he's like, stop. And we look in about like 10 feet in front of us. Oh, this rattlesnake was sleeping underground peacefully and the explosion clearly woke it up or, you know, got it to move. And it was it was pissed off oh my god and then uh and then i started paying a lot more attention to where i walked in the desert as well you should my goodness (laughs) but what you didn't do is what yellow hair does here she decides to ride off with the tulipans leaving pecos uh but pecos doesn't give up he he follows her tries to follow them he's got the horn so he's able to blow the horn which opens the the passage to the tulipan secret lair and Pecos enters the hidden fortress where he finds creepy masks adorning the ceilings. The tulipans do that thing where they mix warriors and with masks and statues. Like, you don't know, is it a statue? Is it a warrior with a mask? And the masks they wear are super creepy, although one of them bears a strong resemblance to Mel Brooks. Oh, yes, indeed, indeed. But And this sequence in this stuff, this really is kind of set up like, you know, it's a horror movie with the creepy mannequins. Absolutely. He doesn't he doesn't milk it for too long because it he's got stuff to get to, but um it's a really nice little beat within. Pecos makes his way to the heart of the lair, where a giant golden pyramid sits at the center of a massive cavern, and there yellow hair is waiting along with the high priest. Also, there are the remains of her mother and father mummified in gold. She tells Pecos she wants to stay there with her people, and she offers him a handful of golden nuggets if he promises to never reveal the location of the temple. And he agrees and is led out of the tulipan lair. Almost immediately, Yellow Hair realizes she's made a huge mistake when Shiotiwa reveals that both of her parents' hearts had been cut out and he intends to do the same to her. Yeah, I guess he still was holding that grudge from back in the day. Still holding the grudge, yeah. And and there's a lot of untranslated language in this part of the film, but you get the gist of what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, I actually like that it's untranslated. I, I like that you don't understand everything that he says. We're in Yellowhair's POV, and she does not know that language. Exactly. He's He's got the dagger. It's sort of that classic Aztec sacrifice imagery. Uh, and Yellowhair is saved at the last minute by the return of Pecos, who shoots the knife out of the high priest's hands before he can plunge it into Yellow's chest. And the ricochet then causes the hits the ceiling, starts to cause the whole cave to collapse. 
and I'll be honest, this was the only part of the film that I was a little disappointed in because the whole movie, Yellowhair has just been this strong character who acts with purpose and agency. Like even her decision to go off with the tulipans is a, a decision that she makes. But once Pecos comes in to rescue her, you know, she kind of just sits there like and Pecos does everything. Pecos throws Shia Tiwa into the molten gold and he and Yellowhair escape. But like, it's all Pecos at this point. And I was like, you know, like you could have had a thing where he came and rescued her. But once she once she had that, once she was free, she takes matters into her own hands. It's my only issue with them. Yeah, movie. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree, but it is such a short thing. And I, because of the emotions of what has gone, you know, her, her flip-flopping from thinking she's going to be with her, the people of her parents, and then realizing that that is the exact opposite of what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, I, you know, so there's a little emotional whiplash there for her. So I, it didn't bother me as much. You do get just to, you know, it's, it's a, also a fun sequence in that, in that beginning when she finds out about the double cross and you, you're actually in this long shot kind of far away. Oh yeah. And you just get, a rifle coming in in the middle of frame, aiming for where that ceremonial ritual is about to be taken. Yeah, the dagger's going to come down. And it's just, you know, little things like that are, are so great. When And then when, uh, you know, when the priest, after he's encased in gold, his skull getting smashed open by falling rock. Oh, that was so creepy. That, yeah. yeah, that was just more like you know good kind of like creepy ghoulish stuff that sequence with the with that bit with with where his his skull gets smashed it's so it's so unsettling it's super unsettling they do escape and they get back to the village and they end on a cliffhanger as the colonel's men once again have yellow hair and peco surrounded and the previously mute flores gives the order to kill them and that, the whole end bit is just so fun but then also you know, leading into it before they get captured, you get the nice heartfelt moment with Yellowhair asking Akos, and he's she's asking him, "Why did you come back?" You had the gold, kid. Why'd you come back? They were gonna cut your heart out and find out you ain't got none. You didn't know I was in trouble. One of us always is. Come on, kid. Why did you come back? Gold don't mean much without you, Yellow. Man, like Hundra, it, it's a movie that I just really enjoy. Matt Simmer, he was ahead of his time in so many ways, and I wonder what he could have done even with greater resources. Yeah. And we have a few scenes from the next installment, like you would have in an old serial where you come back to the theater the following week to see what happens. Will Yella and Pecos escape this time? Here are some scenes from their next exciting episode. Does Pecos hit the dust for the last time? And Yella finally get rid of her mortal enemy.
has Floris drawn his last breath? Don't miss the next adventure of Yellow Hair and the Pecos Kid. Go! And never come again! Drybacks! We don't want you sneaking into our country! There's no room for your kind here! Stay on your side of the border with your own people! You... Gringos! What an amazing line to end on, having the Mexican colonel tell the two Americans to stay out of his country. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and that is, uh, for those of you elsewhere who don't live in the States, uh, who may not know, uh, that is a subversion of uh, the usual United States yeah. keep keep out of our country BS that some folks can have. Yeah, they really do. They they capture that old serial vibe so well. Like it again in a different way from Raiders. It it reminds me the notion of mixing a western with more fantastical elements. There was a serial in 1935 called The Phantom Empire starring Gene Autry, and it's about this cowboy who finds a lost civilization hidden under his ranch. It was a serial from Mascot Pictures, and the success of The Phantom Empire directly led to Universal greenlighting the first Flash Gordon serial a year later. Oh, wow. And you you talk about this. This is the first one where I feel that in the wake of Raiders, they said, well, it was an adventure serial, but that wasn't the only kind of adventure serial there used to be. And they're doing the Western version of it. Right. This is the first one where I, I really feel, you know, Romancing the Stone was written before, but you are combining the action adventure with more of the romance, right? Right. And there's clearly a romantic subplot in Raiders, but it's not, you know, at the forefront. But this is the first time that someone said, hey, why don't we take the spirit of what they did, but actually do something different? Yes. Um, which is is refreshing. Although, as always, I say, even if you are blatantly trying to copy something, it cannot help but be different. It, it's never the same. Right. It ha- It's going to have just, just by the nature of being made by different people at a different time and place and under different circumstances, it, it, you know, all of these films are going to have different flavors to them. Even, you know, even Gwendolyn, yeah. the perils of Gwendolyn in the land of the yik yak, uh, you know, has got a different flavor. Too. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think that's the place to stop for today. Uh, it's been a really interesting pair of films. It's similar in, in a lot of ways, but radically different in others. Uh, next week on Get Me Another Indiana Jones, we'll look at two more Indiana Jones inspired films the Australian movie Sky Pirates also known as Dakota Harris, as well as New World Pictures' Jake Speed. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Lamorges. If you've enjoyed our show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Get Me Another Pod. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your enemies about the show. Tell that masked guy who may or may not be a statue about the show. And join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when Hollywood says, get me another. I'm scared, Beth. Scared? After what you've done? How do you make love to a man? 